This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by the Magic Monday podcast. Magic Monday is a new podcast about all the ways we experience and use the magic of the universe in our everyday lives. Give it a listen to learn about energy healing, tap into the energy of the week, and get fresh magical ideas throughout the wheel of the year. Find Magic Monday at magicmondaypodcast.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Welcome to the Witch Wave. If you've listened to earlier episodes of this podcast, it's likely become clear that I am deeply intrigued by and invested in the notion that creativity and magic making are two sides of the same coin. And so that's why my guests sometimes are practitioners of some sort of obvious or literal witchcraft, and sometimes they're artists or creative folks of different flavors who engage with magic in their work or in their lives. I'm particularly obsessed with the occult interests of some of our most lauded artists. Interests, by the way, which have often been ignored, unacknowledged, or trivialized in the hallowed halls of academia. At long last, though, artists like the spiritualist and abstract art pioneer Hilma Off Klint are finally starting to get their due, and their interest in magic or mediumship or other forms of witchliness is finally starting to be framed not as some embarrassment or frivolity, but rather as a legitimate body of inquiry, knowledge, and meaning-making, or at least meaning-seeking. Poetry in particular has a long lineage of writers who have used techniques like automatic writing, trance, tarot, and other forms of divination to inspire or even produce their work. W.B. Yeats was married to a woman named Georgie, later called George, who was a medium, and much of Yeats's writing was based upon her spirit communications. An article in the New York Times states, In their first three years together, they had 450 sessions with these spirits, or roughly three a week. 
Sylvia Plath and Ted Hughes used their own makeshift Ouija board to communicate with a spirit named Pan, and the Plath poems Ouija and Dialogue over a Ouija board both allude to these otherworldly experiments with paper and planchette, or in their case, an overturned brandy glass. In a 1958 diary entry, Plath writes, Even if our own hot subconscious pushes it, it says when asked that it is like us. We had more fun than a movie. And the poet James Merrill also used a version of Ouija with his partner David Jackson to get a sort of spiritual dictation from an entity named Ephraim, via which he generated the epic multi-part poem, The Changing Light at Sandover. Writer and Southern rootwork divination expert Sela Satterstrom writes the following in her book, Ideal Suggestions, Essays in Divinatory Poetics. Quote, I tell students, it is the realms of uncertainty, simultaneity, contradiction, paradox and the parable that one needs to access in order to give a good reading. Teaching divination workshops feels the same to me as teaching writing workshops." Today's guest is Dorothea Lasky, who is one half of the Astro Poets and a phenomenal poet in her own right. I met her, appropriately enough, in one of her writing workshops, where she had us experimenting with various occult techniques to create our poems. On this episode, we discuss how she navigates the dual worlds of astrology and poetry, as well as the realms of pop culture and formal scholarship. We also talk about the ways in which creativity can be a magical and revitalizing process. She is such a joy, and I'm so delighted to share our conversation with you. But before we get to that, first, let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Witches! Jay writes... I'm new to witchcraft, and I'm trying to figure out what feels magical to me. By far the most numinous, otherworldly, and powerful thing I experience is my dream life. I often feel suspended between dreams and reality, and can't shake the feeling that my dream life could be a great source of magic for me. How can I work or experience magic through my dreams? I've tried journaling and interpreting, but it feels too reductive. What I love about my dreams is that I often experience things too strange for words. A dream for me is like a deed without a name, and I don't want to try to name it. And I'm not really interested in telling the future either. I enjoy the suspense and mystery of living in the present. Any advice for a baby witch with wild dreams? Hi, Jay. 
A vivid dream life can be such a blessing, but I also understand that it can feel overwhelming too. What do you do with all of these images and messages that are coming at you? And I get it when you say you don't want to necessarily interpret the dreams or name them. After hearing the introduction to today's episode just now, I bet you can guess what advice I'm going to give you, which is why not make some sort of art out of these dreams? It can be paintings, poetry, stories, music, whatever form you're drawn to for starters. But let these pictures turn into something generative. Crucially, and to your point, you don't have to understand the dreams and you don't have to understand what you're making out of the dreams. You don't have to know what they mean or what they may or may not be trying to tell you. Some of my very favorite artists employ a sort of dream logic in their work, like the filmmaker David Lynch, musician Tori Amos, the novelist Haruki Murakami, and the playwright Matthew Freeman. You might have heard of him. they are just a few that come to mind. I don't always know what their songs or their stories mean, and I bet they don't always know either. But I still get so much magic and mystery and pleasure out of them. I'm actually reading Patti Smith's newest book, Year of the Monkey, right now. And it definitely has its own dreamy language that is neither entirely fiction nor entirely nonfiction, but instead feels like her blending the two together and coming up with a loosely autobiographical story that is enchanting and symbolic and feels true, even if it's not totally, well, lucid. So that's my recommendation for you. Channel your dreams into some divine artwork. You might not understand what you're making or why you're making it, but that's not your job right now. Just do some creative conjuring. It's possible that the meanings will become clear as you're working or afterwards when you're reflecting on it. But that's beside the point. For now, you only have to use these night visions as fuel for your art. And in doing so, I have a feeling that you'll become even more wide awake. Now, on to my guest. Dorothea Lasky is a poet who has published five full-length collections of poetry, including Milk, Thunderbird, and Rome as well as releasing chapbooks and appearing in various literary journals and illustrious publications like The New Yorker, Paris Review, and American Poetry Review. She and Alex Dimitrov together are the Astro Poets, and their phenomenally popular Twitter account of poetic horoscopes and salty astrology insights has led them to writing the book, Astro Poets, Your Guides to the Zodiac, as well as to hosting their own Astro Poets podcast. 
If that's not enough, Dorothea has a beautiful new book of essays out from Wave Books called Animal. She is currently an associate professor of poetry at Columbia University School of the Arts, and she teaches workshops like the one I took with her all over the place. And you should absolutely take one with her if you get the chance. The conversation you're about to hear is my favorite kind, wide-ranging and covering a whole host of topics from witchcraft to writing to motherhood to honoring one's inner multiplicity. We had planned to do it in person, but had a last-minute change of plans, and so Dorothea joined me from her home in Manhattan via Skype. Dorothea Lasky, welcome to the Witch Wave. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so, so, so happy that you're here. You are one of my absolute favorite writers and thinkers and magical humans. So it's a real, real honor. Thank you. And I feel the same about you. Um, And I'm so glad to be having this conversation. And I hope it's the first of many, although this is not our first conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I was recently on your podcast, the Astro Poets podcast. And it was such a joy to be, I believe I was your first guest, if I'm not mistaken. You were our first guest. You are our best guest. (laughs) You can't say that, Dottie. I'll say that you're my favorite guest. Well, I'm very (laughs) flattered. Thank you. I will speak for myself that you were and are my favorite guest, even future guests included. Holy shit. Wow. You're really putting a stake in the ground there. And you're very bold (laughs) in general. And that's actually a good place to start. We have a lot to cover because you are a poet. You also are one half of the astro poets. You write beautiful prose. There's so much that you do. But one thing that I really enjoy about you is that when you're doing Astro Poets, you will make bold statements. You are not afraid to throw shade at certain signs. And I I don't know, it always makes me laugh. How did you come to have that spirit of not taking this shit too seriously? How did that develop for you? I just by nature, by nature is a weird thing to say, but for whatever reason, I come to it naturally to be sarcastic. And I think that I see comedy as related to like teasing people. Um, But that can be hard to do when you're talking about a particular person, you have to have that, you know, intimacy with someone to tease them, and to know that they won't take it in the wrong way. And maybe they will anyway. But I think with Astro poets and with signs, it's extra fun because even though people feign taking it personally, you kind of can't really because it's like a type or an archetype. And so you can poke fun at it the way you might poke fun at like a celebrity, even though I know that's technically 
basically mean, or like a political figure or a god or goddess, like that form of satire can be really exciting and I think cathartic. So my mom is especially has a certain sarcastic tone. So I probably got that brand of humor from her. And I really love that about you because both of these worlds that you occupy, both astrology and the world of poetry, I think people do really take them quite seriously. And you do too. I mean, you're this incredibly accomplished poet. You have several books out from Wave Books. And for listeners who aren't familiar with that, it's a very prestigious press. And your poetry is gorgeous. But also, you do have this spirit of what I always call reverent irreverence. (laughs) You know, it's this kind of call to breaking down your idols or kicking your golden calves, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) And, And there's something really taboo about that. And I think of you as someone who explores the taboo in all of your work. What made you come to splash around in these taboo waters? I think it is the the deep seriousness with which I take all of these things that allows me to kind of be playful with it. I know that sounds like contradictory or paradox, but I love that um, thing that Emily Dickinson says that's like, I believe and disbelieve. I think it's a thousand think it's a thousand, a thousand, a million, who cares? But I believe and disbelieve a thousand times an hour. And that's what keeps believing nimble. So I think that if you kind of can't have fun with something and sort of play around with an idea or something that you believe in and test yourself to kind of see what you feel when you are making fun of it or thinking the opposite, then you may not really deeply care about it as much as you think you do you know so to me it's really a part of worship in a way is to like kind of bat something around and see if it sticks or not I think a poem is having some kind of internal integrity and definitely coming from some other place or some other world or some other realm. And I think poets kind of can conjure the language of a poem from that place. So I think of a poem as being this thing that's a lot like mercury, like in an old fashioned thermometer that I always tell my students this, you can do anything to a poem to edit it because um, it's like throwing an old thermometer against a wall. Those like beads of mercury will eventually find each other and congeal. And I think of poetry in that way, and certainly like astrology too, that you can play around with it, you can cut it up to pieces, you can burn it, do whatever you're going to do to it, and it's going to come back to like its original source. So I think it's a good thing to remember for everyone, not to be extra precious about something. Mm, I really love that. So I want to talk really in depth about your poetry, But first, because I think a lot of listeners might be familiar with Astro Poets as well. Can, can you talk about how Astro Poets came about? I mean, this is a hugely popular Twitter account wherein you and Alex, you essentially are both talking about horoscopes and talking about the signs, but you're also weaving together bits of poetry as you do it. Or, you know, how would you explain what Astro Poets is and, and what your <laughs> intention is behind it? 
So Alex Dimitrov and I, we started Astroputs like on a whim. When we first met, we started a Twitter just to be funny called Fire Signs for Life because I'm an Aries and he's a Sagittarius. And um, we just thought, you know, it would be fun to kind of commiserate about like the burden of being a fire sign. <laughs> yeah, most people kind of think it's like maybe like a fun sign to be or we're very superficial or that sort of thing. But we started that several years ago. And it was just kind of for us and it never really took off. But one day in November 2016, he was on Twitter just trying to decide whether to date a Taurus or a Virgo that night and did like a kind of Twitter poll. (laughs) And I just happened to be on Twitter and I voted for dating a Taurus or something like that. Because I mean, why would you want to date a Virgo? But anyway. Oh, shit. Uh oh, Virgo dragging is happening on this podcast. Okay, I just want to go on record as saying I am not doing any of this dragging. This is all Dottie. Thank you. Anyway, then he, you know, did a a poll should Dottie and I start an astrology Twitter? And like a hundred people voted yes. I don't know who voted no, but (laughs) they will go down in history as being (laughs) having wrong instincts because um, then we started the Twitter and just immediately it took off. I mean, it really only took a few hours. I have no idea why, because we were just saying funny things like we may be said on the other Twitter or we might say to each other. So who knows what was in the stars that night, but it just took off immediately. And within a few days, we just had so many followers and it was just really, really odd. And we've been on this really strange journey or ride since then, doing our book and doing our podcasts and It's just something that was not premeditated in any way. (laughs) And sometimes that's the best way that invention happens or creativity happens. I know some people say necessity is the mother of invention. Sometimes I think just like goofy improvisation is the mother of invention or delighting yourself is the mother of invention. You know what I mean? Yes, totally. I mean, I don't know if I actually have told you this, but I have like a doctorate in education and I studied creativity actually. And my thing was on this idea of small C creativity, which is just about that. It's about this idea that we don't necessarily, you know, sit down and say, I'm going to write the book that's going to win a Pulitzer today, or this uh, rug that I'm weaving is going to be the best rug in the world, but that we just kind of go along a life of being creative. And then sometimes things are inventions and we wouldn't have ever planned it. You know, it's just part of like the everyday. It's part of creativity that like we're all engaging in all the time. And I sort of really believe I feel like you believe this too. I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, that like if, if more people had the ability to really be creative in the everyday, it would kind of be like a better world for everyone because everyone would be, you know, having more inventions, which would help the world, but they would just be happier to kind of pursue the roads that like are interesting to them. 100%. I mean, I think of creativity as spirituality. I do. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have to worship a certain deity. I just believe that the spirit is 
something that all human beings have. And in the same way you need to like nourish your body, you also need to nourish your spirit. And creativity is a really primary tool for doing that. And this also reminds me of this gorgeous essay that you wrote for the Creative Independent. And I actually revisit this essay a lot. It's about creativity. It's so gorgeous. And you have this one quote in it, one of many, many, many quotes that I love, (laughs) where you say, the essence of everyday creativity is the true essence of witchcraft. So I'd love to use that as a jumping off point to talk about witchcraft and the occult and all of these magical techniques and concepts that you seem to draw from both in the content of all your different writing and in the way you create some of this writing too. So how are you thinking about witchcraft and creativity these days? Thank you so much for knowing that essay. Yeah, (laughs) I feel like I wrote that essay because we're reaching such a scary time in the world. And I've been really I think maybe we all have been like sort of feeling out our own mortality as you know, in this form or (laughs) whatever. And that essay was something I really wanted to leave. (laughs) I was like, if I die tomorrow, I want to say these things. I think in terms of thinking about everyday creativity as witchcraft, I feel that that in both ways, creativity and witchcraft become these things that we sort of hold up in almost like an elitist fashion that they're for certain people, when really both things are really the opposite. They're really like these human drives or human spaces in a way that every person can engage in. But I think there are things that have been kept from us throughout time, the big us, by the powers that be because they kind of promote peace and they promote equality and they promote everyone approaching a kind of joy that for whatever reason some forces do not want us to engage in I'll I'll never completely figure out why but Mm. and I think that that kind of was what ties them together for me and why it feels important that everyone feels empowered to approach their own creativity in their small way and their own witchcraft in their own way. I'd really see them as twinned in that way, or maybe even two faces of the same thing. And they do affect my own creative output in that I try to tell myself that. That essay I like I wrote for myself as much as anyone reading it, just to kind of remember that you don't have to put pressure on yourself to kind of solve everything when you are writing a poem or painting a picture or even, you know, doing something for your job. Like you don't have to hold yourself up in this way that ultimately will set you up for failure. All you have to do is kind of just keep going on the road and that will lead you to things that ultimately will bring you happiness and will make new things for the world. Absolutely. I used to be a long distance runner. I've gotten injured like in the past year, so I can't do it like I used to. But I, you know, would run every day for hours. And some days it's really hard to get up and do it. But there's like that kind of old running adage, like, 
just tell yourself you're just going to run a mile. And then by the time you're out there, you never just run a mile. You're already doing it. And so I, I kind of believe in that in terms of for creativity and witchcraft, too, that you can just do a little bit. And then once you start doing that, you probably will end up engaging in a meaningful way. I love that. And by the way, for listeners, I should have said the title of the essay we're talking about, which is <laughs> In Pursuit of a Lifelong Creativity. And once again, that's in the Creative Independent. You can find it online. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey, honey, package arrived for you. It's gigantic. What's in it? Hooray! It's my Mithras candles. That's a lot of candles. Um, have you seen them? Mithras candles signature dripped pillars look like they've been crafted for a wizard's secret library. Right, but... They look like they've been harvested from a magical cave of wax stalactites. Yes, but I... And their natural honey scent makes me feel so calm. You want me to feel calm, don't you? They're, they're lovely, but how many do you really need? Well, there are also now Mithras candle votives, pyramids, and tapers. With so many different shapes and sizes, I can use them on my altar, in rituals, in our living room, on the dining room table, in the bath. Plus, they make the best gifts. Amy, we live in a two-bedroom apartment. Yes, but we're supporting a sweet small business. Remember, Mithras candles are handcrafted from the purest golden cappings beeswax by the loveliest folks in Philadelphia. Well, I was made in Philadelphia too. Synchronicity, Matt. See, I'm glowing just thinking about it. Okay, well, giant boxes of Mithras candles being carried up the stairs it is. And if you did want to get me some more candles, just go to MithrasCandle.com and use offer code WITCH to get 10% off. That's M as in magic, I-T-H-R-A-S, Candle.com, and use offer code WITCH for 10% off. Got it. Offer code WITCH at MithrasCandle.com. Just pretend to be surprised. We never had this conversation. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today, I'm speaking with Darthea Lasky. So, Dottie, we were talking about witchcraft and the occult. And one of the ways in which I met you was through a class or a workshop that you were teaching here in Brooklyn. And I'm trying to remember the exact name. It was called something like Poetry and the Occult Spring. And it was mostly about flowers, but it <laughs> then ended up being about so much else, like how to use some magical techniques to prompt creativity. You had us playing with tarot cards. You had us bring in ghostly objects or, or haunted <laughs> objects, objects from our own lives that have some kind of memory attached to it, which I thought was really, really beautiful and so on. So I wanted to talk about that word occult, which listeners might know by now means hidden, because I think of your poetry in general as quite occult. You're often talking not only literally about magic, but you're talking and writing about topics that are often hidden or underneath the surface or not always brought out into the light. Things like sex and female desire and some of the shadow sides of motherhood. There's sometimes violent, visceral imagery in your poetry. So I wondered, does that resonate with you, this notion of you as an occult poet in all those different respects? 
I love it. It's such a compliment. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely is what I would esteem to be. I don't know that I'm always doing it, but I'm really happy and excited that you felt that way. And especially I'm excited that you had fun in that class because it's always you're like, is anybody enjoying this or is this just like something I want to do today? But yeah, it was like a class that kind of was using the flower as this sort of metaphor for the occult because it itself is kind of hidden in many respects. You know, we think of a flower as like a loud, brash thing that's, you know, having its colors and all that stuff. But there's so much about its processes and its magic that's very hidden. And so I've been thinking so much about flowers in that way, you know, how we kind of think of them as just something to get for a day and throw away, but how much they have within them that can teach us about poetry and life and everything like that. Yeah. And I think just like with poetry, some might say, or astrology, flowers are things that are often associated with the feminine and Mm -hmm. are often trivialized, I think, or thought of as maybe, I don't know, like a a flowery non-necessity because they're associated with the feminine or sentiment. And yet flowers are so, they're really sexy and there's a viscerality to them and there's a lot of depth there and there's life and death written on the body of a flower in the same way that astrology and poetry, I think, have so much more to them than some people might assume. Yes, I mean, I'm just thinking about plants in general, but especially flowers, all the medicinal properties, all like the secrets they have to help us with elements of transformation is something that, and not to be like a conspiracy theorist, but I'm always thinking of this other side of life that like wants to take from us these like properties that are important to our own growth as like a humanity or whatever. And I mean, I call it conspiracy theorists, but (laughs) I just mean I'm paranoid, I guess a large uh, paranoia for the powers that be. But, But I do think that too, like this idea of kind of getting flowers and putting it on the table and then throwing them out in a day is part of like this kind of theft to not stop and think about them. I mean, there's the stop and smell the flowers, but it's not only smelling them. It's like stop and kind of worship a flower is something that certainly like our everyday life now seems to not want to let us appreciate or something. Let us have time to think about because I feel like we would get power in doing whatever these forces do not want us to have. Yes, yes. There's a quote that you tweeted out on the Astro Poets Twitter Mm -hmm. account that I love and I keep coming back to. This is an excerpt from a poem by the poet Jack Spicer. And uh, the quote goes, unless you're a poet or an otter or supernatural, you'll drown, dear. You've also specified that Jack Spicer is an Aquarius, like I am. So I'm definitely a big Jack Spicer fan for all (laughs) these reasons. But I think this is what we're getting at. You know, he talks about poetry. He talks about animal instinct. He talks about being plugged into the supernatural. Like, unless you orient yourself, I think, in one of those ways and really honor those more subtle or intuitive or feminine aspects of one's identity, you can drown like these are really well I was going to say anchors but that's probably like be that's not the right metaphor in this case um they they can uplift you right they can save your life 
yeah, the poem that you're quoting from is this poem that is so wonderful. I feel like we should just read the whole thing. I don't know if we should do that, but it's like any fool can get into an ocean. Yes. But the first three lines, which I love so much, which actually I had a friend who was my student send me flowers once during my last pregnancy. She sent me flowers with these three lines attached to it. And it meant so much to me. I saved the card and it says any fool can get into an ocean, but it takes a goddess to get out of one. I love that too. Thinking of like, you like that new Lizzo song, Truth Hurts? I love it. Yes. I mean, yeah. I think if you don't love Lizzo, something's like you're unwell. Something's wrong with you. Yeah. Because she says, oh, yeah, yeah, I got boy problems. That's the human in me. Bling, bling. Then I solved them. That's the goddess in me. And I always think of that as so like twinned with this poem. Because it is like anybody can get into life, like anybody can be born. That is what happens to us all. And anyone can die, too. I mean, we all do. But there's something about like worship, or maybe it's a creative instinct, or this idea of like becoming a goddess that is like really important to some sort of idea of real life. I don't know what to call it, connections to the occult or something, but being connected to that idea of the goddess in yourself feels really important to Lizzo and Jack Spicer and I think maybe to all of us. Absolutely. And I'm sure that resonates with a lot of listeners. I'm also so happy that you're talking about Lizzo and Jack Spicer in the same sentence because honestly, that is the main reason that I'm so in love with Astro Poets because (laughs) you will have these quotes from incredible poets like Anne Carson and Frank O'Hara, Sylvia Plath, (laughs) but then you'll also be talking about like Justin Bieber and Rihanna's signs or whatever. And again, it's that like high level low balance of opposites that is so attractive and delightful to me. And yeah, I just get such a kick out of it. You know, it's something that's good in the collaborative space that Alex and I share that we're able to do that. It makes it more of a synthesis to do it with two voices, too, because then you can sort of bat around with each other even more easily because one person can always get into one track and the other person can bring something else in. And that's what makes it fun. Absolutely. There's like a nice alchemy between you both. And and having been on your show, you guys definitely have like different energy, but super (laughs) complimentary energy. And it's such a joy to be around. (laughs) Yes, we're very similar. I mean, we're only children from the Midwest. Our astrology is so compatible. Like even our rising signs are compatible. They're like Aquarius, Sag, and there's a lot of synergy there that was not planned, not a premeditated partnership at all or friendship, but something that just happened in that way that it does. Yeah, but I also think it makes poetry more accessible like you're not diluting poetry but you you are certainly recontextualizing it in a way that feels fun and I imagine you have some followers on Twitter who like are totally just there for the astrology shade and memes and stuff (laughs) who are now being exposed to incredible poets and, and writers and on the same token I'm sure you have people who are just poetry dorks like I am who also then like giggle about your Beyonce you know tweets or whatever it's really really a great combination thank you so much I think if there is an ulterior motive that we 
we both have. I definitely know that for me, my lifelong goal is to try to bring poetry to people in a way that they don't know that they're getting it. And so I didn't create Astropoets thinking of that, but I think that that is like a byproduct and that is what I want for all my future endeavors. Not that the poetry itself shouldn't be what hooks them, but it's just for lots of reasons. Back to my paranoia track here. (laughs) I think that, um, yeah, poetry gets maligned in school and all these things. You know, it's good to just remind people that they love poetry without them having to go for it themselves. Absolutely. Dottie, just as a warning, I'm going to have you read one of your poems after the break. So get ready and we will take that quick break and we'll be right back. I am very excited to share the news that we finally have Witch Wave merch. Yes, we have the official Witch Wave tote bag, which says witches are the future on it. We have gorgeous, glittery witches are the future enamel pins. And we also have signed books by me, both Waking the Witch and What is a Witch? So head on over to witchwavepodcast.com slash shop and get your official Witchwave merch today. It's a great way to support the show and it's a great way to share your love of magic and witchcraft with the world. Welcome back to the Witchwave. Today I am speaking with Darthea Lasky. So Dottie, as I warned you, I would love for you to share with our listeners some of your poetry. You have many, many books out. We should mention you have a new book of prose out called Animal, but the poem that you're about to share with us, if I'm remembering correctly, it's from an anthology by Ignota Press called Spells, 21st Century Occult Poetry. I'm 99% sure that's the accurate title. Is that right? Yes, that is what I think the title is, too. If if we're both wrong, we apologize. I think that's right. Yeah. Yes. Ignota Press, for those who aren't familiar with it, they are a beautiful press out of the UK, and they're putting all kinds of gorgeously produced and thoughtfully curated books out that deal with contemporary occult issues and art. And so this anthology of poems really explores the overlap between poetry and spells. And so the poem you're about to read, Dottie, actually, why don't you tell us what it's called yourself? Yes, it's called I Used to Be a Witch. And it's a poem that when I was writing my last book of poems called Milk, I thought about putting it in there. It was in many of the drafts of the book, but I ended up not putting it in there. It just didn't really fit. And I thought maybe it said too much, I guess. (laughs) I wanted more of a mystery in that book. So I didn't make it in that. And thankfully, the press was so nice to have it in their anthology called Spells. And I wrote this poem thinking about what it means to be a witch. I'm not even totally sure that I am one, although I believe everyone is and can engage in witchcraft. But definitely when I had my um, daughter, I really questioned if I was or not and what that would mean, I guess. So I wrote this poem for her, which a lot of the poems in the book Milk are for her. Kick it off, my friend. Okay. I used to be a witch. I used to light the candles in the hallway and say your name. Say it was what it was supposed to be. 
Say, love me, love me, I used to love me. I used to wear a long black coat and swab my staff at everything. I used to sing and sing and it was for nobody except the ghouls who peered at me from under the bed. I used to kill off the dead until they were my lovers. I used to pin the legs above the head until I could have my way with the dead. I used to take your spirit out and put it in my pocket and ride a horse that did not exist. I used to go in with a dark cat and mix a thousand herbs together, but it was the new year and the cats, instead of keeping still, wanting to cry into the morning. I used to sit alone. I used to be a witch. Then you came along. I used to be only what the nighttime knew. Now you're the witch, little thing, and on a golden broom I've sent you flying through the stars and the moon. The people will now look at you, and this time the spell will only be for living. Ah, oh, Dottie. As you know, this is one of my favorite poems of yours. It is so exquisite. Thank you for sharing it with us. Aww, thank you so much. Thank you for knowing it. I think it does really represent this period of time in which I wrote it because my ideas about what a poem is or what poetry could be was very, very much based on romantic love, particularly unrequited. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think there was something about entering into motherhood where it, it sort of I know this is really cheesy to say, but it definitely changed my relationship to love and thus what a poem could be. It's so, so beautiful. And I really enjoy how much you write about motherhood. I'm not a mom. And one of the things I write about in my book and think about a lot is how the witch figure traditionally either isn't a mom or she wants to kill children or eat children or <laughs> it's almost like she's an anti-mother. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we know that's not true at all. There are so many witches who are mothers or mother figures. And so I really, really appreciate the ways in which you are expanding the archetype of the witch and you know, really talking about motherhood as a magical experience. Thank you so much. I really feel like a mother is somebody that doesn't leave when the going gets tough, I guess I'll say. So I think that you are, you know, that and we all are, we all can be. I think there's also this thing that I've always kind of repelled me or repulsed me about motherhood in these traditional kind of gender ways that, you know, a motherhood had to be this mother, female, like bearing a child or going through that physical experience. But the instincts behind motherhood are something that, again, could benefit all of us if we all sort of took them up. So there's that way that it's really important to me to think about and promote, I guess. Absolutely. And, you know, similar to what we were talking about with flowers and astrology and poetry, I think motherhood is a thing that is also so hyper-feminized as this like sweet, tender experience. And of course it's that, but it's also ferocious and fierce and visceral. And I mean, giving birth is visceral as hell, right? And and you write a lot about that, especially in your uh, book of poems called Milk. So yeah, I wondered, is the shadow side of motherhood something that 
you're also wanting to keep exploring in your writing or was milk kind of your way of working through that as a, as a young mom? Yeah, no, I think I want to keep exploring it. I'm not sure how it'll manifest. I've always really been in to momness with my own mother or just like that kind of idea of the, the cyclical nature of everything is tied to me to the violence so that in sometimes manifests as motherhood but can manifest in other forms. So it feels really important to me to keep exploring and discovering and maybe working against and working toward. And I think that for me, what was so surprising about motherhood, but I should have known after having lived so many years on the earth is just how scary it is and how terrifying it is kind of every second in this bodily way and this spiritual way. I think I definitely want to go there in the future with other poetry, but I'm kind of been working on something which is more maybe thinking about the environment and the earth and climate and all those things that are preoccupying us in the moment. And that to me is still an exploration of motherhood in some form. Oh, very much so. I mean, if we think about Mother Earth, Mother Nature, Gaia, all of these very feminine layers that we put on top of the earth or ways we anthropomorphize the earth. Yeah, it's deeply tied to the feminine, I would say, too. Totally. And there's so much there to think about if we think about healing it or what could possibly be done to help nurture it to get back in a more positive spin. Excuse the pun. Ha! <laughs> hey, oh, sorry. I'm like, a, as all great invention is, not planned. But anyway, so... <laughs> I think that thinking about motherhood in general can be a helpful framework, maybe for the future in terms of the earth. Yes. And the creative process is one of mothering, I might suggest, too. You have now two brand new books that you have birthed into the world. <laughs> There's the Astro Poets book that you've written with Alex. And you also have this new book of essays out called Animal. Can you just talk briefly about each book and what people can expect to find in them? Yes. So the Astro Poets book, one thing that, you know, we've gotten since we announced that we were doing a book is um, from like Twitter followers or friends, is it going to be a book of just your tweets? So I guess I should say that no, it's not. The kind of spirit behind it will be very similar, but it's basically, I don't know um, how many listeners out there are familiar with Linda Goodman's Love Signs and Sun Signs, an astrologer from the 70s and 80s that was people were very excited to read. She was so fantastic. She was a poet herself and an Aries, but um, she wrote these great uh, literary, um, I'll use that in quotation marks, literary explanations of the signs and narratives that kind of, you know, explained elements of the, the 12 signs and seeing them through the lens of her life and just life in general. And so that's kind of what we've presented. There's a quick introduction with some just basics about astrology. And then there's like, 12 chapters where each chapter goes into little elements about the sign and we each wrote six chapters so it's even in that way and um, you I did not write the Aquarius chapter which I wish I had so I could say but Alex wrote it so you'll be in good hands reading that excellent <laughs> and um, so that's kind of what is in store for that book and then Animal is a book the way books publish the book Animal um, but there is something called the Bagley Wright lecture series that was 
started through Wave Books in memory of Bagley Wright, who was a fantastic arts patron and I believe artist himself. And he passed away a few years ago. And it's it's a lecture series that gives each lecturer like a period of like three to six months like a season you know fall or spring to be the Bagley Wright lecturer and it promotes them going to different places and giving kind of lectures on poetry and so I did that in 2013 in the fall and like went to like the Library of Congress and the Poetry Foundation and Seattle Arts and Lectures so the book is kind of like a culmination of that experience and so it has four kind of, I call them essays now, but you could call them lectures. And they are on ghosts, colors, animals, and bees. So themes, I don't know. I don't want, I feel like you would like these themes. I don't. <laughs> I mean, I already own the book, Jotty, and I'm desperately in love with it, especially, I haven't talked about this too much on the podcast, but I'm obsessed with bees and bees are a really like powerful symbol for me in my life. So yeah, it's, it's really glorious. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. I hope you like the bees one, especially hope it did it justice. There's so much you can say. It, it's the longest one in there. And I feel like I could have said a lot more. There's so much I had to cut. There's so much to say. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. And this is what I'm talking about. I mean, I think even these two books coming out kind of near the same time, they'd come out, what, a month apart from each other. But by the time this podcast airs, they will both be out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of them, the Astro Poets book might seem a little more like pop culture. You could see this book being sold at all of the fun kind of like new age shops and occult bookshops and and stuff. And then you have this very prestigious book that's, you know, (laughs) essentially you lecturing at the Library of Congress and Harvard. And I don't know, I just really think of you as a mercurial person in that you just kind of slip through these different worlds so seamlessly. And, you know, you're quite a shapeshifter in in the witchly sense of the word, too. Is there anything in your chart that makes you so slippery and shapeshifting? <laughs> well, almost nothing is in Earth. My MC is in Virgo. So that may be the only Earth I'm clinging to. So I don't know if all this water and fire and air is making me like that. But I also was raised by two air signs. Um, my mom, Libra, sun, Libra, moon, my dad, Gemini, sun, Gemini, moon. So I think they gave me a lot of a lot of air to work with, <laughs> which maybe made me a little shapeshiftery. But thank you. That's like the greatest compliment, too, because I really want to be like that. That's maybe like a goal. Maybe it wouldn't be a goal for everyone. But I, I want to be able to kind of not be stuck in one rut. So I thank you so much for saying that. I want to be cooking different pots of things, of stews. (laughs) Yeah, and it's more fun. And I'm sure there's all kinds of cross-pollination and magic that emerges because you're not limiting yourself to, oh, I'm only this fancy poet or I'm only this pop culture astrology person. You're allowing yourself the full spectrum of you know, all of these different selves that you occupy and that you are now radiating out into the world. 
Oh, thank you so much. Do do you think of yourself as a shapeshifter too? Or how do you think of yourself? Because I could see that, right, being said about you, that you occupy different worlds and different conversations. But does that feel like a compliment or do you not want to be that way? Oh, that's so lovely. I take that as a huge compliment (laughs) because I think one of the reasons you and I really vibrate well together is that, you know, we have, I don't know how to say this in a way that doesn't sound pretentious, but we, you know, we both love to read and have lots of depth and seriousness when it comes to the research we've done and the work that we've put in. And yet I think we also like to have fun and build bridges so that other people who might not want to do all of that research (laughs) can still kind of, you know, come along for the ride and learn and and hopefully have fun and find inspiration and, and magic because, I personally don't believe in elitism. I I find it very boring and very limiting. And it's, I feel like you're the same way. I totally am. And we both feel an impetus that that's important. And, you know, I do think, I think when we think about that idea of like goodness, I think that has always been tied to the way I've approached what I wanted to be like in the world. And, you know, that it always seemed kind of, elitist, like to be sitting here and writing poems that, you know, no one reads. And then I close the book and go like cry into a corner or whatever. I mean, I'm still doing that every day, but (laughs) I just have always had this knowledge that lots of other people are doing that too, in some form or another. And it just seems not right to not what you're saying. Yeah. Build the bridge so that they can you know, come to that place with me or go someone else, whatever. That just feels like really important to creating a just world. Ultimately, I think it is about justice. You know, like creativity doesn't always seem like it's tied to justice, but I, I think it's really intrinsically tied to it. And it's good to try to promote that in whatever field you're in or whatever you do. Absolutely. Well, I think you are such a source of goodness and such a generator of creative magic and word witchcraft. So I thank you so much, Dottie, for sharing your words of wisdom with us today. Before we go, can you tell people how they can find you, how they can find Astro Poets and so on? So you can find me on Twitter and Instagram just in my name, Dorothea Lasky. Sometimes people think my name is Dorothy because it's like Wizard of Oz situation. I do like the Emerald City, but it's Dorothea, D-O-R-O-T-H-E-A, and then Lasky is L-A-S-K-Y. And then Astropoets, you can find our handle is at Poet Astrologers, um, and that's on Twitter. Yeah, if you're wanting to get any books, Animal, you can get it through the Wavebook site or, or any place, you know, that um, you buy books, and the Astropoets book should be out when you're listening to this and Amazon or, you know, wherever you, you pick up books, it should be there. Absolutely. Well, Dottie, I am so grateful for your time. I'm so grateful for your poetry and your astrology and your wonderful sense of humor and your kindness. Thank you again for being on the Witch Wave. Thank you. And I'm so grateful for all of those things in you. And thank you so much for coming into my life and having this conversation with me. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Dorothy Alasky for her radiant energy and bewitching words. 
Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop us an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on the witch wire. The Witch Wave is produced, written, and recorded by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was edited by Rachel Jacobs. Thank you, Rachel, and myself. Our theme music is the song Hand and Eye by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman, Chiquita Pascal, Jonica Stuckey, and Lauren Sarand. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website and now buy Witchwave merch at witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and give us lots of sparkly stars. It really does make a huge difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WitchWavePod. And you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone iMessage by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. And please consider ordering my book, Waking the Witch, which is available everywhere now. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave. <laughs> <laughs>